If you're used to coming to church here, you're probably thinking, who's the old guy? <laughs> My name's Bob, and I'm on the uh, advisory team for City Light Church, and I've known uh, Mo and Austin for about five years. We met, met Austin as a student over at Wesleyan, and, and uh, Mo on staff with crew over there, and uh, it's great to see what God has done in and through them and the staff here, and God's doing in all of your lives. I've been on staff with the Navigators for about 38 years, and but my other full-time job is keeping Mo and Austin and Ricky in line. So I pr- appreciate your prayers for me. I'm also a husband and a dad and a grandpa. And when my kids, when our kids were little, my wife's parents bought us a swing set. Well, he bought, her dad bought a, them a swing set. When I put it together, I didn't quite follow the directions well, so I got about 90% done, and I realized I didn't have the right bolts anymore. I'd use all the bolts in the wrong places. And so I disappointed my kids and took it apart, read the directions, and put it back together again. It made all the difference when I followed the guidelines that were given by the creator of the swing set. We've been looking at the life of David, the shepherd boy who became... Israel's most beloved king. David was the second king of Israel, and we can't really understand David's life unless we look at the life of Saul, the first king of Israel. Saul had been selected to be king, and he did pretty well at first, but as things went along, he grew impatient with the timing and the purpose of God. Saul wasn't willing to go by the directions. He wanted to take the life he'd been given and put it together his own way. David was anointed by God's prophet, Samuel, to be the next king. He wasn't made king immediately, though. He had to live under the rulership of Saul until it was the right time for him to be king. David conquered the giant Goliath. He played music to soothe King Saul. He led the troops into battle and was successful. He rose in popularity with the people And as his popularity grew, so did Saul's insecurity. David was even the best friend of Saul's son, Jonathan, and he married Saul's daughter, Michal. David received the life he was given and sought to put life together God's way. Saul grew jealous of David and used his leadership authority to undermine God's blessing of David. There's a verse at the end of Psalm 78 that summarizes the life of David. It's verse 72, and it says this, With upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. David was a shepherd, and he guided his sheep with his hands, but he also guided his people with his hands. We have to be careful what we do with these gifts that God has put at the end of our arms. I think it will help us discover what this passage is about if we look at David in the hands of Saul and Saul in the hands of David. So let's look at David in the hands of Saul. 1 Samuel 22, 6, talking about Saul, it says, Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with a spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Over and over again as we read about Saul and we look at what's in Saul's hands, he's got a spear in his hands. You see, Saul was trying to protect what he thought was his. Saul used his hands to clutch 
what God had taken away. In 1 Samuel 23, 7 through 15, we read what was in Saul's hands. Verse 7 says, Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town with gates and bars. Saul believed that the circumstances were favorable because they allowed him to do what he wanted to do, which was get rid of David. Somehow God had orchestrated it. He believed that these are circumstances that occurred for his benefit. Ignoring what God had told him previously, Saul believed that right now is all that counts. Saul was a man that was dominated by time, by the moment in which he was living. We live in a world dominated by the circumstances. There is so much to do, to taste, to try, to experience. We live in an age of acceleration. So much is thrown at us day after day. Kenneth Gergen wrote a book called The Saturated Self, and in it he states that the sheer amount of data and images and opinions we have thrown at us every day is overwhelming. It causes a condition he calls multifrenia. You've heard of schizophrenia? Split personality? We are overwhelmed by having our life in a perpetual flux. We have so much coming at us every moment that we get caught in the now. Our motto could become this, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. Saul's life says, I'm grabbing everything I can get, and nobody is taking it away from me. You see, Saul uses God to get what he wants. Saul takes from the hand of God. In contrast, we see David who goes to God. David trusts God to give him what God wants. David receives from the hand of God. 1 Samuel 23, 10 through 14. David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul comes to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness and in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David stops in the middle of his difficult circumstances and gets in touch with eternity. He prays to God. He seeks God's guidance and gets out of town, a town that he and his men had saved from the Philistines. We read on in verses 15 through 17. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. Saul had his authority and his position David had a friend. Surely David, after being chased continually 
by Saul became discouraged at times. Saul was jealous of David's success, and it became Saul's ambition to destroy David. David was not safe in Saul's hands. As David hides in the wilderness, Saul's son Jonathan comes out and strengthens his hand in God. Aren't those beautiful words? What do they mean? I thought about that, and I thought about a friend I have named Larry Glabe. Larry and I have been friends since I went to a college retreat, and he was my small group leader. And I admired him after that time, and years later, when I went on staff with the Navigators, Larry also was on staff, and we became friends. And to this day, every week, Larry and I talk on the phone. In June, our son Zach was in a hospital in Omaha going through some tests, And as I was in the room watching them do these tests on Zach, it became so difficult for me to watch that I had to leave the room. And I went out to the hallway of the hospital, and I found a corner, and I stood there, and I wept. And it brought me to tears, and I began to think, to struggle in my circumstances with God. And just then, my phone started to vibrate, and I pulled out my phone, And the caller ID said, Larry Glabe. And I knew God cared. Because he had motivated his servant to call me right at the moment I needed the phone call. I went into the hallway, into the stairwell, and I talked to Larry. And Larry listened, and then he shared God's word with me that he'd memorized in his heart. And then he prayed for me and my wife and my son, Zach. Larry strengthened my hand in God. That's what Jonathan did for David. Larry caused me to live with eternity in mind. He took my hand, which was caught in the circumstances, and put it in the hand of God. That's what Jonathan did for David. He said to David, you're not in the hand of my father Saul. You are in the hand of God. You're the one that God has anointed by his hand to be the next king, and I will serve under you. This is Jonathan, the prince, who's supposed to be the next king. He says, my father also knows this. Do you have a friend like Jonathan? That's a blessing if you do. But most of all, are you a friend like Jonathan? Whose hand do you strengthen in God? Men and women, we need each other bad. Just last week, two people in our church were in Las Vegas watching a concert. You won't believe what they went through. We need each other. We read on in chapter 24. I'd like to consider Saul in the hands of David. Chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. Saul returned from following the Philistines. He was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. And you shall do to him as as it shall seem good to you. And David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him 
because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Saul's in pursuit of David with his men, and he has to stop at a rest area. We'll call it a cave. He goes in. And, you know, I just noticed earlier there was 600 men with David in his cave. Little does he know that David and his men are watching. David's men try to convince David that this is his opportunity. These are the circumstances that he should take advantage of and take Saul's life and claim the kingship. David won't do that. David is even conscience-stricken that he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. Let's read why he does that, 8 through 15. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. When Saul is in the hands of David, he doesn't take the matter into his own hands. David believes that God has made Saul king. And until God removes him as king, David will do nothing to harm Saul. Saul is safe in the hands of David. That is not how Saul treated David. Saul used his hands to clutch what God had taken away. For Saul right now is all that mattered. Saul's dominated by time. Saul lives for what is happening right now. David dedicates his hands to receive what God has given. God has not yet given David the kingship, so he doesn't take it by force when it seems like the circumstances are right. David does not live just for right now. For David, what is right now counts forever. David is dominated by eternity. David lives for the not yet. To David, what mattered was what God thought of him. And he would not rush the hand of God. God would make David king in God's good time. We read on in 1 Samuel 24, 16 through 22, a couple of verses. Verse 18, you did not, this is Saul talking to David. He says, you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. And Saul is weeping as he says these words to David. Verse 20, Behold, I now I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Saul knows he's wrong to be jealous of David. And in that moment, he weeps. But later, when the emotion is gone, 
He goes after David again. In 1 Samuel 26, 3,000 men again go after David. Another situation arises where Saul is put into David's hand and David doesn't harm him. And he reveals it to Saul. And Saul goes away and leaves him. So we've looked at David in the hands of Saul. We looked at Saul in the hands of David. Last thing we want to look at is people in the hands of God. Often in each of our lives we find ourselves in similar situations like David. There's something in life we want and we want it now. But we know in our hearts that God has not given it to us yet. Have you ever thought how oftentimes God wants to give us something but it's just not the right time? How often do we make choices to live in light of eternity rather than the right now? For example, you could enjoy and exploit the blessing of being single right now and let God bring the right man or woman into your life in his time. Or if you're married, your relationship can't be just about the two of you. It's bigger than two people. You could live at a lower standard of living so you could invest more of your money in God's kingdom. Maybe you could forego a vacation and go overseas on a mission trip. Or just in a small way, you could quit worrying and I could quit worrying about my reputation and talk to a neighbor or a coworker, or a classmate or a family member about Jesus. Will we, like David, trust the sovereign hand of God even if it's very difficult in the moment in which we live? Or will we try to force God's hand and take circumstances into our own sinful, impatient hands? You know, Jesus himself, being one of us, had this same experience, but to the extreme. We see his willing trust of God in the midst of the most difficult circumstances anyone has ever gone through. It's the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to God about what he will experience, about the circumstances that are upon him. And he prays three times that God would take away the bitter cup of the cross if it was at all possible. But he closes each prayer with these words, Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submits to the sovereign hand of God. And so God put his own son into the hands of men. He was betrayed, denied, deserted, blasphemed, whipped, beaten, pierced, mocked, scorned, and hung on a cross until he was dead. He was not safe. In the hands of men. In the hands of people just like you and me. They could not stand the glory of his beautiful life. They fell so far short of it. We are not different from them. He was broken for us. In the plan of God, Jesus was unsafe in our hands so that we might be safe in the hands of God. In John 10, 27 through 29, Jesus makes a promise. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to them, them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Because of what Jesus suffered at the cross by taking the death that we deserved, for our rebellion against God, we can receive eternal life. 
we can have an eternal relationship with God and no one will take us out of the Father's hand. Isn't that amazing? If Jesus would have lived for the moment, we wouldn't have salvation. If Jesus was a king like Saul, eternal life wouldn't be available. But Jesus is a better king. Jesus looked to eternity, saw the joy of you there with him. And he received from the hand of God what God gave him. In the plan of God, Jesus was unsafe in our hands so that we might be safe in the hands of God. I don't know where many of you are in your relationship with Christ, but perhaps as you've heard this promise of Jesus, you desire to be safe in his hand. All you'd have to do is right there just pray and say, Lord, I want to be safe in your hands. I want to receive the gift of eternal life that he's offering. 